Praise the Lord. I don't know what happened to me right there. I got a, a tickle in my throat that wouldn't go away. <laughs> I just had to cough. I apologize, but uh, amen, it goes that way sometimes. Praise the Lord. It is good to be here at Mount Victory Baptist Church. This is a, a really remarkable church. It's, people here are so, so, so friendly. Um, my hand's going to fall off from shaking all of your hands so many times. It's, it's just, it's, 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 it's wonderful. Um, folks, don't take that for granted. It doesn't exist everywhere. Um, what you have here is special. What you have here is uh, wonderful, and it, it's, it's a good reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you guys keep that up. Uh, keep up the good work in that. If you will, we're going to get into the preaching tonight. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter number 9. We'll begin reading verse 35 through the rest of the chapter. Just four verses tonight. Uh, Matthew chapter 35, give me an amen when you get there. Amen. If everybody is there, we will begin reading. And here's what the Bible says. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this good group of people, Lord, who believe in you, who believe your book, are faithful to come to a Sunday evening service and care about missions, God. I just thank you that we're gathered here together to primarily hear the preaching of your word. And God, every, every time I get an opportunity to stand beside, behind this, this sacred desk where your holy word is preached week in and week out, God, it is a, an honor and an opportunity that, quite frankly, I'm undeserving of. Uh, but I thank you for the holy calling you have placed upon my life. And as I endeavor to preach your word tonight, I pray and ask that you would please fill me with your spirit. Empty me of self. Remove me from the equation. I pray that not one word would be uttered tonight that you did not want said. God, I pray and ask that the word that is preached tonight would not fall on deaf ears, Lord, but soft hearts that are willing to receive it and to apply it to our lives tonight. And God, as we continue, I pray and ask that all honor and glory be given unto you tonight. And in your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Uh, Verse 36 is going to be our text verse, and I want you to notice the last little phrase in that verse says this, as sheep having no shepherd. As sheep having no shepherd. This is missions emphasis night, and some of you may be wondering what, uh, what, what this has to do with uh, missions. Oh, bear with me, it'll all make sense as we continue tonight, but um, thinking of sheep and shepherds, um, I did a little research, and I'm going to educate you a little bit tonight about sheep and shepherds. Um, some interesting facts that I looked up and in preparation for this message that uh, you may find interesting or you may not, it, take it as you will, but uh, you're going to get a little education tonight. And so the first thing I would have you know about sheep is this. Sheep are completely dependent on their shepherd for survival. 100% dependent on their shepherd for just about everything. The shepherd feeds them. 
The shepherd waters them. The shepherd is up in the middle of the night when the mother sheep is delivering the lambs. Because without the shepherd's hand or help, um, the sheep more than likely will die in the effort of giving birth. Um, They're completely helpless. They need the shepherd for survival. Fact number two, and this one really caught me off guard, and uh, brace yourself, you'll know why here in a minute. Sheep are not dumb. Now, how many of you have, have heard that statement made before? Maybe even by a preacher, right? As we, we all, we like sheep because sheep are dumb, right? <laughs> well, that may make for good preaching, but uh, it's not exactly accurate. Um, sheep are not dumb. Sheep are not, are not stupid, but they do have a propensity to act very foolishly. Um, one of the things I, I saw in preparation for this, and I, I kind of wish I had the clip, Pastor, but uh, I saw a shepherd pulling a, a lamb out of a, a, a ditch. Okay, it's stuck in a ditch, and its hind legs are kicking, and some of you may have seen, I see nods, some of you may have seen this. The shepherd goes over there and grabs the thing about hind legs and pulls it up out of the ditch, and the sheep's like, thank you, and, and takes off running and goes five or six yards and then dives right back into the ditch again and gets stuck. Oh, isn't that like us sometimes? God gets us out of the pickle we created for ourselves because of our sin nature. And we say, thank you, I got this now. And we go and dive right back headlong into it. And we need help again. And the shepherd, ever faithful, is there to pull us out again and again and again. So sheep are not dumb, but rather they have a tendency to act foolishly. Number three, sheep are followers by nature. Uh, They will follow another sheep to destruction just as soon as follow the shepherd to the green pastures or the still waters. They're going to follow something, whether that's the shepherd who knows what's good for the sheep or another sheep that doesn't know what's good for the sheep. But they're going to follow something. We're going to segue from sheep for a minute into shepherds. Facts about shepherds. Shepherding is the oldest of professions. The first shepherd mentioned in history is a man by the name of Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain, his brother, was a tiller of earth. Uh, but uh, shepherding is, is, is among the oldest uh, professions. Number two, shepherding is a very humble profession. And I think about when uh, Joseph made himself known to his, to his brethren, and they all came to live in Egypt, and his, his father Jacob came there, as well, what did they tell them? They said, you guys can dwell in the land of Goshen because all shepherds are abomination to the Egyptians who were men of cattle. Cattle ranchers, cowboys, if you will. And they didn't, they didn't like the shepherds. Shepherds were beneath them. Um, but they knew better. They knew that Joseph was, uh, was a good man. And so they didn't just kick him to the curb. They gave him Goshen, the, the, the best of Egypt. But they wanted them away from their cattle herds because shepherding is beneath them. It may have not been a very good political move for Pharaoh uh, to allow them to intermingle. And so he he asked them to stay separate because his people wouldn't understand. Shepherding was beneath them. It's a humbling profession. This is true even today. Um, You may find this interesting to know, but the chief occupation in Sardinia, where we're going, is shepherding, followed by fishing, followed by agriculture. But that is the the number one occupation is shepherd. Another, another interesting fact that just, just came into my mind, uh, when, uh, when, when my friend Chris Faulkner got there, uh, he, had, he spent so much time explaining to the people what pastor meant, because they thought he was a shepherd of sheep. 
Oh, he had to, he had, when he introduced himself, he said, I'm a pastor, and they're like, oh, where's your flock? They thought he was talking about an actual sheep, because the, the word in Sardinia for shepherd is pastor. And so they, they, they didn't get it. They had no word for that. They knew what a priest was. They didn't know what a pastor was. And so now he has to say pastoral spiritual, or, or spiritual, spiritual pastor. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a spiritual pastor of, of a spiritual flock. But um, shepherding is a, is a humble profession. There's more money to be made in shepherding today between the meat and the wool production than there is in cattle ranching. That shocked me. I had a hard time believing those statistics, but uh, annually per capita, shepherds make more money than cattle ranchers in their product. Can you believe that? But yet they still would prefer the title, we want to be known as ranchers, not shepherds. Because historically, that's just a, a low, low title. Even though it turns more money, they'd rather be known as a, a rancher than a shepherd. That's a very humbling profession. And this is one of the reasons why it is. Shepherds must care for the flock as much as the individual. I already mentioned earlier that the shepherd, in, in keeping its flock well, is up all hours of the night with the flock ready to deliver the babies as they come at the wee hours of the morning. Uh, the shepherd is there many times sleeping in the field with the sheep to ward off wolves and predators to protect their flock and their livelihood. Uh, they can't risk staying a night indoors because they won't react fast enough to fight off the, 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 um, the, the, the prowling wolves. It's a truly humbling profession. But the shepherd must care for the flock as much as the individual. I think no story illustrates this better than the shepherd that left the 90 and 9 to go after the one. But as important as the one is, so is the needs of the flock. And so the shepherd can't just be concerned as the whole, every single one of those sheep matters to the shepherd, to the, to the serious shepherd, not the hireling, the shepherd that watches for the sheep and cares for those sheep, every single one on an individual basis is important to that shepherd, but so is the flock. They have to care for both. So now that you're educated on sheep and shepherds, at least maybe a little more than you were, I'm going to pose a question to you. What happens to a sheep with no shepherd? Goes astray? Scattered? That most certainly can happen, but the overwhelming reality is that a shepherd without, or a sheep without a shepherd will die. Today, tomorrow, a week from now, a few years from now, it will die. It can't live on its own for very long. The shepherdless sheep of Israel moved the Lord Jesus Christ to certain actions. As we can see in verse 36, it says here, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. A little bit of context for what's been going on here. If you look back with me at verse 35, this is what Jesus has been doing um, for the, the past few weeks in the re region of Galilee. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So what has he been doing up to this point? He has been preaching in the synagogues. He has been teaching everywhere in the, in the cities and the villages. And he has been healing every disease indiscriminately 
among the people, from the man with the little hangnail to the guy with the severed hand. He's been healing them all. Any ailment that the people had, that these shepherdless sheep had, they could come to the good shepherd and receive healing. He could meet their needs. That's what he's been doing day in and day out so far. But then we have this startling verse, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. See, we understand that Christ is God in the flesh. But at this particular time in Christ's ministry, God Almighty, Jesus Christ in person, limited Himself to the abilities of a man. And as a man, He beholds the multitudes that He's trying to be a shepherd to. And He realizes that He can't reach them all. He cannot, as a man, be there for every single one of them. He can't possibly get to all of them. That's how many people were there. And this moved our Lord Jesus Christ. It moved him to compassion. What is compassion? Compassion is a feeling of pity or painful sympathy towards another's misfortune or sad state of being. Christ was moved with compassion for the multitude's sad state of being. What was that? They were lost. And he's been doing everything that he knows to do, everything that he possibly can do. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing people, he's performing these miracles. Uh, not, not, not for a, a selfish reason, but th this was to authenticate himself as the Christ that was going to be promised to them. He's doing all of these things, trying to reach not the physical need, though that was met, but the spiritual need to show them that I am the promised Christ. I am the Savior that can take you to heaven one day when you die. And many people were reached, but he sees the multitudes and there's a problem. He can't get to them all. Not as a man. This moves him with compassion. He has, he has that deep sympathy, that, that, that deep pity for the most depraved state of being of all. To be lost. Really let that sink in for a minute. I mean, some of us have been saved for a long time. Some of us don't ever remember being lost. Praise God for that. But for those of us who can remember, let's take a stroll down memory lane. Do you remember the hopelessness? Pillowing your head at night, not knowing what lay beyond? Do you remember wondering what is the point of life? Because outside of Christ, there is no hope. There is no purpose there, 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 there's nothing that satisfies. People day in and day out today, if you look at the reports, they're staggering how many people take their own life because they come to the conclusion, like Solomon of old, vanity is vanity, saith the preacher. All is vanity. Life has no meaning. Life has no purpose. And the world would be better off without me. That's the conclusion they come to on their own because there's no hope. There's no, there's no purpose. There's no, there's no lasting drive. There's no peace outside of Jesus Christ. That is utter depravity. Oh, if that can't move us to compassion, what will? What will? Christ was moved with compassion for this. Christ was burdened for them. He knew that He could not reach them all Himself. 
He needed help. And he lets his disciples know he needs help. Look at verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Christ in his infinite wisdom, he he lets his disciples who are with him at this point, the, the, the 12 disciples, he lets them in on the problem, what's been burdening him, his, why, why he has this, this, this deep compassion for these people. He says, look at the multitudes. Look at the fields wide unto harvest. They were right there with him. They, they could see the same multitudes that burdened our, our Savior so. They could see those multitudes, and he's letting them know the harvest is Truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. Hey, guys, we've been doing a good job. We've been doing a good work. We, I've, I've, been, I've been healing people. I've been uh, preaching and teaching in the synagogues and the surrounding cities, uh, but it's not good enough. There's still a lot of people that have yet to be reached. Why was he saying this to them? Because they're in training. This is, their, this is the apostles' Bible college days, if you will. Uh, granted, they got the best teacher in the whole wide world, in the whole universe, in fact. They, got, they get to learn from Jesus Christ. But he's, he's letting them know this problem because he's trying to get them to a certain conclusion. And, and fortunately for us, Christ never gives us a problem without also stating the obvious solution. Look at verse 38. He says, here's the solution. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So number two, for those of you who are taking notes, Christ's compassion for the multitudes moved him also to speak. And what he spoke was to his disciples. It was nothing more than a call to action. You see, it is, it is not enough for us to just have compassion, to see people in that sad, pitiful, depraved state of being lost It's not enough to just have compassion on them and say, wow, that really stinks, I'm sorry. If that's where it ends, we're not doing anybody any favors. No, it's not enough to do that. Our compassion ought to move us to action. We ought to be able to do something about it. And by the way, Christ spoke to his disciples not because that was the action that was necessary, but remember, we've already established, he's already been doing everything he can do, humanly speaking. He's already teaching and preaching and healing everybody so what is he doing? He's turning, he's, he's, he's recruiting help. He's saying, I can't do it all by myself. He's saying, you guys need to be moved to action as well. He says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. It moved him to speak to his disciples. He shared the burden with those closest to him, ultimately to get them to do what he's already been doing, and that is caring for the sheep. That's what Christ was about. His speech led others to pray and later to go. I already mentioned the disciples were in their Bible college days. They were, they were learning the ministry from Christ. Um, they were not, at this point in time, the great apostles. Okay, uh, At this period in Peter's life, he never imagined that he would preach Pentecost and see 3,000 people get saved and, and then probably have back problems for the rest of his life after having to go baptize all those people. Can't a brother get a witness? <laughs> I had to tire him out. But it's, it's, he, he never thought of that. I'm sure the Apostle John at this stage in his life never dreamed that he would be known as John the Revelator and watch all the events of Revelation unfold before him and have the 
unique responsibility of penning it down for you and for me. So that we could know what God's ultimate plan was. So we can say like so many others before us, we've read the back of the book and we win. He never thought of that. And I don't think any of the others thought that they would go and have the courage to stand up and die martyrs' deaths for the cause of Christ. In countless other ways. This, this, this was not the disciples at this point. They were still learning. They were still the disciples of, O ye of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? That's who these men are right now. They're a ragtag group of fishers and hillbillies. That might be a little mean, but <laughs> that's basically what they were. And he's telling them to pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. You know, when, when God commissions us to pray for something, I find it fascinating when we pray for something in earnest, how often God calls us to fill the need we're praying for. Which brings a question. Do we have a right to pray for something that we ourselves are not willing to take a hand in? Let that one sink in for a minute. Do we have a right to pray for something that we ourselves are not willing to take a hand in? I'm not saying that's anybody here tonight, but let's all do a little bit of self, uh, 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 self-criticism, if we will. Let's, let, let's self-evaluate here for a second. When the church needs finances, brother, do we have a right to pray that God meet that need if we're unwilling to open our own wallet and contribute something? Or does that just make us a hypocrite? I mean, it's the desire of every church to see souls saved, brother. But are we willing to go put ourselves out there and maybe pass out a track periodically from time to time? Or take it a step further and go door to door and try to confrontationally lead someone from point A to point Z through the gospel? If we're not, do we have a right to pray for that? Or does that just make us a hypocrite? I wonder sometimes. It's, it's, it's no... Accident. Christ never did anything on accident. He did everything on purpose. And it's, he didn't tell them to get busy and give them a kick in the pants and tell them to get out there and start healing people. He could have, and he could have given them the power to do it. But what did he urge them to do? He urged them to pray. He urged them to pray. Because when we pray for something in earnest, oftentimes, at least it ought to be something we ourselves are willing to take a hand in. And when they started praying for laborers, they became laborers. The disciples were never meant to sit on the sidelines and watch Christ work. No, no, no. They, they, were, they were the starters in this game. They were key players. So the conclusion is this. We need to be moved by what moves Christ. And that is the title of the message, if you were wondering. I am going to give it. Moved by what moves Christ. Now, I said conclusion. That doesn't mean we're done. Okay, that, that means we've, we've, got, we've gotten through the, the meat of the message, and now we're going to look at something called application. Okay, I've, I've already broken down what, what, what the Bible is talking about, what Jesus is going I hope I painted a good illustration of what's taken place so far. But now, how does all of that, how does what Christ did and his compassion and his speech and, and what he urged the disciples to do, how does that apply to you and me tonight? As individuals, it applies to us like this. We need to be moved with compassion for shepherdless sheep. Brothers and sisters, they're everywhere. 
They're all over Richmond. They're all over Hampton Roads. They're all over North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Maryland. They're all over the Midwest. They're definitely in California. I'm allowed to pick on California. That's where I was born. They're all over the world. They're in Brazil, brother. All over South America. They're in Europe. They're in Sardinia. God has called us to go there because He's burdened us for those shepherdless sheep. But we need to be burdened for sheep everywhere. Everywhere. And I don't mean to get ahead of myself, but Christ was moved with compassion when He saw the multitudes. He saw just how many people were in that lost state. They were shepherdless sheep. He was moved with compassion. He was pained with that deep sympathy that we mentioned before so that he was moved to action. And we need to be moved for people like Christ was moved. If I can, just because it's where I'm going, I'm going to paint a picture for you now of Sardinia. These people are currently, as we speak, they are digging through the rubble of their religion and their tradition they are looking and searching actively for anything that will give them hope, that will give them peace beyond what Catholicism and, and false doctrine and endless, worthless tradition can offer them. No lasting peace, no lasting hope outside of Catholicism, but they're searching for it. We need to give it to them. Someone needs to care. Someone needs to care enough to sacrifice a little bit and go to those people. We don't speak their language. We don't know their culture. Fact is, we'll probably never be accepted as one of them. But we've got a commission. We've got a job to do. And if we don't care, who will? Oh, for hundreds of years, they've They've remained without a Bible influence. There's not been a church there for centuries. And for centuries, these people have been dying and going to hell. And the saddest part about it, the vast majority of them are doing everything that Catholicism tells them to do. And deep down, they believe that they're pleasing God because it's all they know to do. Many of them are devout. Many of them are sincere. Many of them want to please God. That's why they do what they do. But the sad reality is, without Jesus Christ, they're going to die and go to hell forever. And that trend is going to continue and continue and continue until... Someone like you or someone like me steps in and says, no more. No more. We may not be able to reach the entire island, not by ourselves. There's vast multitudes there, 1.6 million people. One man, one church won't reach that many. But 100 churches could. 100 churches could. An army of soul winners could. God can do that if we would pray for the laborers to send into his harvest. If we would pray believing and pray willing to do something about it, to have an active hand in it. Oh, if more people would get on board with that idea, we would see God turn countries upside down.
we need to be moved with compassion for those shepherdless sheep like Christ was moved. Number two, we need to speak to those closest to us. You say, preacher, what do you, what do you mean by that? I'm talking about our next generation, folks. Here's the sad truth. We may be on board with everything that's been said so far, but if we fail to instill a love for lost souls in our children, in our Sunday school students, in our bus kids, pastor, in our churches, if we fail to do this, let me put it this way, if the buck stops with you, then that is exactly where the buck is going to stop. And it won't go to the next generation. And we, we as Christians, as a society in, in our world today, have seen the results of this. Of this not, not, not passing this on to the next generation. Not, not effectively anyways. And I'm not talking on an individual basis. I mean, we're all here because somebody passed it on to us, amen? So it's not completely dead. But the fact is, there are not many people soul winning like there were. Preaching the gospel like they were. It's almost a thing of the past now. And, and, and many, many people just expect that like it's normal. They've resigned themselves to the fact that the next generation just isn't going to live for God. The glory days are over and it can't happen anymore. That's nonsense. That is absolute hogwash. And it is our responsibility to make sure that that does not happen. I have been gifted five beautiful children. Why five and why so fast? I ask myself that sometimes. <laughs> but here's the facts, okay? Here's the facts. God saw fit to give those children to us. Three of them are boys, two of them are girls. I see three potential preachers. I see three potential missionaries, pastors in Sardinia. Oh, I'm not God. I, I can't force that on them, but I can instill a burden for souls. I can instill a, a, a desire to do something for God. I, can, I, can instill, I have the opportunity as their parent to instill a love of God and the Bible and these lost souls and these compassion for these sheep. That is my right as a father that God has given me. And any of you who have children, you have the same right with your children. We can't squander that. Because it is simply not enough to just go soul winning, folks. Yeah, you, you heard me right. I said it's not enough to go soul winning. We have to train soul winners. Because if the buck stops with you, that's where the buck stops. You may be a zealous soul winner. You may lead thousands to Christ in your lifetime and praise God for that. But if you don't teach somebody else how to do that, then it ends with you. And what about the next generation? What about them? Your impact is limited if it just stays with you. We have a responsibility to teach new soul winners. We have a responsibility to train more Sunday school teachers. We have a responsibility to train and raise up more bus workers. We have a responsibility to train more pastors to go plant local churches. We have a responsibility to train more missionaries to go to foreign fields. You'll say, well, they just don't have anybody 
ready or willing to do that. Back to point number one, have we prayed for them? Have we prayed for those laborers? Remember what I said, if we start praying in earnest, God will ask you to take a hand in it. I've read my Bible cover to cover multiple times and I've never found an age cap for ministry. I don't see it anywhere in the Bible. You're not too old to serve God, you're definitely not too young to serve God. Everyone who is in ministry in some elevated position, if you will, pastor, missionary, evangelist, Sunday school teacher, they all got there because at some point in their life, they surrendered to be taught how to do that. And I would challenge anybody to tell me different. I certainly did. I remember I was at camp. I was at a Bible camp. I had just gotten saved not too long ago. I've been to Bible camp. I grew up in church, but uh, I was playing games with God till I was 16. And I remember getting saved at 16 during a revival service. I went to my last year at camp, and I fell in with a group of boys that decided while everybody else was at the free time section of the camp, we were going to go and hide up in this uh, little, little cabin and have a prayer meeting and ask God to fall on the preaching tonight and call people into the ministry. That was what we were all begging him to do. And you want to know what happened? Myself and those three other boys all surrendered to be preachers. And to my knowledge, all of us still are. God can work. But that surrender, that decision, when, when, when we realized that God was calling us, that decision didn't just make me a preacher, and now I know everything to say, and I got the good, good hairstyle and the, the nice, nice smile and just the words to say to, to be that preacher. No, no, sir. No, sir, that decision led me to another decision to go to Bible college where I learned from other men of God how to do the ministry and, and, and how to work in the ministry. And that decision led me to take an internship with my current pastor who then became my father-in-law not too, not too long later. And I learned from my pastor how to be a pastor and what the difference was between being a good preacher and a good pastor. Mark it down, there is a difference. As a Bible college student, I didn't know that. But I do now. And, and, and that decision led me into the youth ministry where I got to deal with crazy teenagers and, and did all kinds of other crazy stuff. And, and praise, praise the Lord for all of that. And that decision led me to this decision. It's a series of decisions of following God's leading. And it all started with a moment of surrender where I was willing to be instructed for the calling that God placed on my life. And anybody can do that. Young people, you're listening to me. Anybody can do that. The calling of God is not some mystical thing where you feel a fuzzy feeling in the back of your head and you know God's calling you. The calling, the calling of God is a surrendered heart. You say, God, I don't know if you're calling me or not, but I'm willing. That's someone God can use. Mark it down. Watch that young man. Watch that young lady. That's someone God can use. And so long as that attitude remains like that, they will be used of God. We have to teach the next generation. The next generation, 
Oh, man, if I could say one thing to y'all, just, just surrender. Surrender to the Lord and watch him work. That's exciting. Absolutely exciting. Lastly, and I'll be done, we need to pray for people to send and to instruct for such a work. This is, this is our job, folks. We need to impart the burden for those souls to the next generation. But we need to actively be taking a part in praying for those who your pastor, your Sunday school teachers can instruct to fill the positions once they're gone. I said in the Sunday school, like an individual has a lifespan, so does a church. Now, hopefully the church's lifespan is a lot longer than any of our individuals, and many times a ministry will outlast one, two, three, four, five different pastors. But the fact is, eventually churches die. They don't have to. Some die faster than others. They don't have to. If we can continue to impress the next generation and if we can continue to pray for those who will surrender to be instructed, then the Chesapeake Baptist Church, the Mount Victory Baptist Church, long after it's gone, brother, can have a slew of churches that this ministry planted that are continuing on in your name. In your name. We are the church, the flock of God. That's what we need to be busy being about. So we need to pray for those people to send and to instruct for such a work. How about you tonight? Are you willing to go? Are you willing to fervently pray for someone, that God would send you someone who is willing to go, willing to be instructed? Here's one for you. This one was hard for me. Are we willing to stay where God has us? Well, we've talked a lot about going, and I believe many people who should be going aren't. But there's a flip side to that coin. There's a lot of people who want to go that God has them where they are right now for a specific reason, and we need people who are willing to dig their heels in where they are and stick it out with their pastor and, and support him. We've got enough vagabond Christians that church hop when things get tough or when something was said from the pulpit that just irritates us a little bit too much. We need some people who are willing to dig their heels in and get behind their pastor and say, where you lead, we're following and we're going to support you. You want to plant another church? We don't know how it's going to happen, but we're with you, Pastor. Wallets and all. <laughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek, but it, 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 it's, it's sort of true. We need people like that. We need people who get behind our preachers and say, I'm with you to the end. If God will have me stay here till the rest of my life, then so be it. That's what God wants me to do. I'm going to dig my heels in, and I'm going to get busy. I'm going to make his job easier, not harder. Are you willing to go? Are you willing to stay? I'll close with a question. Are we willing, or not are we willing, when was the last time you were moved for souls? In fact, when was the last time we were moved by the preaching of God's word? Can you remember the last time you shed tears at an old-fashioned altar? 
Because God was doing something in your heart and you knew it was time to surrender to whatever it was God was calling. When was the last time that happened? When was the last time we were burdened for souls in, in, a, in a way that it compelled us to do something about it beyond just flyer blitzing? When was the last time we had a lasting revival fall on our hearts? We ought to be moved by what moves Christ. And what moves Christ? Lost souls. Shepherdless sheep. That's what moved our Savior. That's what needs to move us. Preacher.